But no, actually, if you'd open them to the book of 2 Corinthians, um, I'm not going to jump into the middle of a series on Daniel. Um, I'll leave that to Pastor Kevin. The college group has been going through the book of 2 Corinthians lately, and so that's where we'll be this morning. It's been sweet to study with them. <clears throat> so my name is Pastor Brandon, Brandon Kirby. Uh, I'm the executive pastor here. I've been here for long days since uh, 1998 when I was in high school, and uh, it's great to see faces here who have been here that long too, and faces that are new. Um, we're glad you're here this morning. Uh, have you ever had a life-changing event? Life-changing event. What about a positive one, right? Like a positive one. Some of you convinced some gal to marry you, and that's like the best thing you got going for you. Um, has anybody ever, well, I guess you don't want to say this, but I'm talking like life-changing event, like winning the lottery life-changing, right? Can you imagine if you won the lottery, right? You win the lottery because some of you are like, no, I don't play that. It's for sinners. But either way, right? Just, just picture with me. You come into a family inheritance, however you want to get the money, you get the money. And like one week you win the lottery. It's actually kind of providential that there was a car in the surprise box, but because I have this in my notes. And ne the next week, your car breaks down. Right? The next week, your car breaks down. Now, throw money at the problem. That's a good idea. I don't know how long it would take you to adjust your mindset, but I wonder if after you won the lottery, if the next week your car broke down, you would still treat it as if you hadn't won the lottery. Right? Because in my heart, like when my car breaks down, when you're on the side of the road in California and it's 100 degrees... I mean, there's some choice things going on in your heart, right? Like you're, you're worried, you're anxious, how am I going to do this? You're upset because it's going to cost money, all this stuff. But I wonder how long it would take to kick in, wait a second, I just won the lottery last week, right? I could call a helicopter right now if I wanted to, to get me home. Um, sometimes there's a disconnect between what's true in reality and how we react to life, okay? What's true in reality and how we react to life and so today in the Bible, which is God's word for us, we're going to see how the fact that we recognize Jesus Christ as Lord should change everything, right? The fact that we recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord should change everything. That reality, remembering that Jesus is Lord, can make a difference in every single situation that we're in. Okay, so you guys in 2 Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 4. If you would stand with me um, as I read God's word. It's also up on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. God's word says this. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, and we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask your blessing on your word, um, God, that it would strike our hearts. Lord, that we um, would live differently because we realize and we recognize that you are Lord over all. Um, God, 
keep me from error, Lord. I'm a needy person. Um, I, I don't have strength. I don't have um, intellect. I don't have anything that's not from you. And so, God, I pray that you would use me this morning in, in speaking your word. Uh, God bless your church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So a little context, little context first. We're dropping into the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, Paul's relationship with the Corinthians is probably best described as messy. Okay, it's been very messy. He, he started the church. Him and Timothy were there for about 18 months. All right, and then they went to do ministry elsewhere. And in that time, they've written and received letters. They visited back. And basically, the, the church at Corinth has struggled. They've struggled with sin and division and they've also had this tough situation where some false teachers entered the church and basically were drawing people away. They were attacking Paul. They were attacking the message of the gospel. They were creating chaos in the church. And so Paul's had some back and forth with these people. We think he's made a visit to them where they call it the severe visit, where Paul had to kind of lay down the truth about these people. And this letter comes after that. And basically, he's still um, he's writing it to defend and to encourage himself and those who've stayed faithful to the gospel. Okay, so he's writing to defend and encourage those who've stayed faithful to the gospel. Um, There were those who were sticking with Christ, and Paul was too, and he's writing to encourage them. Uh, So everything changes when we recognize Jesus as Lord. Look down at verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God... um, Paul, in this letter, is talking a lot about his ministry, a lot about what it means to preach the gospel, to be in the church, to to represent Jesus, right? We're all called as ambassadors of Christ to represent him. And he's talking a lot about the course of his ministry, and he says that basically Jesus' lordship sets the course for everything in his ministry, every single thing. Now, for all of us here, uh, most of you are not in full-time ministry, Uh, But I want to tell you, the principle remains the same. Uh, Paul's job in life was full-time ministry, and so Christ's lordship directed that all the way. But maybe your calling is to a workplace. Uh, Maybe your calling is to a workplace where people make a bunch of money and everyone thinks they're fine. Maybe your calling is to a workplace where people don't make enough money and everyone's thinking about uh, how bad life is. Maybe your calling is to your home and to a bunch of kids um, that you're trying to take care of and raise in the Lord. Uh, Maybe your calling right now is to your grandkids. Whatever it is, God's lordship, the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord, should affect all of that. And so I want to just clarify real fast. What do we mean that Jesus is Lord? If you look down in verse 5, this is the key phrase of the whole passage in the middle. But Jesus, we we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Okay? When Paul says that, he means that Jesus is in charge. Jesus is in charge. And not just in charge of our lives, which, is, which should be and is true, but really that Jesus is in charge of everything. Right? Jesus is God. Jesus is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He's God in the flesh, and he's the sovereign ruler of creation. So when I say Jesus is Lord, I'm not just saying some title or some some idea that, yeah, Jesus should run my life or Jesus take the wheel. I'm saying Jesus is, is over everything, okay? And that affects how we live. That has to affect how we live. 
So we're going to see three ways that it changed Paul. The first one, for those of you who take notes, and I recommend that you do, is we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart because Jesus is Lord. Look back at verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. The word therefore points back to the prior paragraph. If you look up at verse 18, chapter 3, verse 18 says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now that may sound complicated, but all he's talking about is the fact that Jesus is going to make us more like himself. Okay? That, that's the basics of the Christian life, right? Is that Jesus is going to take us from where we are, wherever it is when we come to know him, and he's going to move us more and more and more into the image of Christ. That's, that's what, it's what the Spirit's doing. He's transforming us, right? The key word in that verse is transformed. So who's doing the transforming? The end of verse 3 says, For it comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So God's transforming is based on the fact that Jesus is Lord. What else is based on that fact? Look, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. How did Paul get into ministry in the first place? Do you guys remember who Paul used to be? Paul was a murderer. Paul was a religious zealot that thought it was a great thing to round up Christians so they could be persecuted. And yet God met him on the Damascus Road and said, Paul, you're not going to do that anymore. Uh, you're working for me now. And one of the first things Paul says when he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus is he calls him Lord. Because Paul realized pretty immediately who was in charge in that moment. Right? And it was not Paul. But the encouraging thing of that is Paul didn't have anything to do with that. Right? I mean, he repented, he reacted, but, but Paul realized he was given the ministry by mercy. Right? God didn't look at Paul and say, oh, you're really, you're, 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 you know, you got the best sales numbers. You're, you're up. He didn't look at Paul and say, oh, Paul's a really eloquent guy. He speaks real well. You're up. He didn't look at Paul and say, well, Paul, you're super smart. It's up to you now to convert the Gentiles. No, it was by mercy, right? It was by the undeserved favor of God. That's what that word mercy means. And so Paul takes the fact that Jesus is doing the transforming and that he has the ministry by the mercy of God. And he says at the end of verse one, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. That word lose heart is the idea of to faint or to shrink back. Almost sometimes it was used militarily of retreating, being cowardly. Right? And Paul says, I, I don't have to shrink back. I mean, Paul was under attack in Corinth. Like they did not, they were a, there was a whole section of the church and people who left the church who didn't like him and wished that he would stay away. And Paul could have just stayed away. I'm fine. I'll go minister in Ephesus. They're cooler over there anyway. No, right? He... He could have just left it. He could have lost heart and said, oh, they don't want to hear from me, so I, I won't speak anymore. But he said, I refuse to lose heart because I have this ministry by mercy. What about you in your life? Are you tempted to lose heart? Are, you, are there situations that you're in that you would like to just say, I, I, I'll just give it up? 
Those of you who are parents of toddlers, I think uh, I'm with you, right? You just go, man, back at it again today. Uh, those of you with health problems, those that, right, whatever it is in your life, we, we realize Jesus is Lord. He's given you the kids you have. He's not, he didn't, he wasn't surprised, right? He's given us the bodies, the health, the situations, the jobs, all of it is from his hand. And so we don't lose heart. Because if Jesus put us in it, then Jesus will work in us, and Jesus will get us out of it. Um, and so those of you facing hard things, don't lose heart. Okay, so first, we don't lose heart. Secondly, we, re- we renounce shameful ways because Jesus Christ is Lord, all right? So first, we don't lose heart because Jesus is Lord. Secondly, we renounce shameful ways. Look at verse 2. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with the word of God. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Sometimes, uh, sometimes when, we're, when things get rough, the temptation is not to lose heart, right? We don't lose heart. Some of us, like, we put up our fists, right? Oh, you're gonna, stuff's going to get rough around here? Okay, I know just how to take care of that. And so this is the second temptation, right? Paul said, I could become like these false teachers, I could do underhanded things. I could discredit them. I could lie. I could manipulate people. I could, I could push people around. And yet he says, we've renounced those things. The false teachers in Corinth would do anything to draw people to themselves. But Paul continued to do exactly what the Lord had told him to do, which was just to proclaim the truth. Right? Just proclaim the truth. But we, uh, it doesn't need to be shameful, underhanded. He doesn't, th- th- those are words for things that shouldn't be done in public. And then he says, we refuse to practice cunning. That's the idea of, again, trying to manipulate people or to tamper with God's word. That's the idea of, well, I'll just mix in a little something else. Make it a little more palatable, right? Maybe God's word, maybe people don't like to hear it, so we'll just mix in a little something else. And Paul says, we've renounced that. We won't do it. Won't do it. And so whatever you're, whatever's going on in your life, are you sticking to what the Lord has for you? <clears throat> and he says this, the end of verse three, or sorry, the end of verse two, we would, so, so in this way, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience and in the sight of God. Right? The fact that Jesus was Lord, that Jesus is Lord for Paul, means that he says, if I do what Jesus wants, that's going to commend me in the sight of man and of God. They may not like me for it. Right? I'm not saying people are going to like it if you stand for Jesus. People are going to, if your kids are going to like it if you stand for the godly principles in your family. But it will commend you to every man's conscience and in the sight of God. The, the, the last point in here, verse 3 and 4 Um, What Paul's basically trying to get at is that success isn't dependent on us, right? Look down at what he says, verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers that they may not see, or sorry, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. A couple principles about the gospel that we can glean from here. Um, the Lord's gospel is, cl- is clear, 
Right? The Lord's gospel is clear. Look, look at the beginning of verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. The idea that Paul wants to put is, he says, it's not a problem with the gospel. Okay? If you're in a dark room with your eyes closed, the problem is not with the sun. You guys get the illustration he's saying? So people wanted to, put, people wanted to say, oh, Paul's gospel is, it's not, it's not. And Paul says, no, wait a second. The problem is not with the gospel. What Paul was preaching was very, very clear, right? Man is sinful. God is holy. God sent Jesus Christ, his son, to live a holy life, to die on the cross for our sins, to rise from the grave, to conquer sin and death, to ascend into heaven, and to offer eternal life to anyone who puts faith in him. Right? Paul says, what's unclear about that? Anything? Am I making, like... Paul's saying, this is the gospel, right? And the fact that we don't want to believe we're sinners, that has nothing to do with the sun not shining. That's us closing our eyes to reality, right? The fact that a holy God exists, that's not a problem with the sun. That's us closing our eyes to literally all of creation around us, right? You don't go to Yosemite and go, man, I'm really awesome, right? Everybody ever done that? You drive through that tunnel, right? Yosemite, you got all the things there, and you go, I'm, I'm great. I'm great. No, the creation cries out that the Lord is awesome, right? Cries out that there's a God who's beyond us. The fact that Jesus came and lived and died and rose from the dead. Paul said, I've seen him with my own eyes. This is not unclear. This is not unclear. Jesus was not unclear in his teaching. But then look, he says, the gospel is veiled from the perishing. Um, this is tough for us. Um, in the scriptures, there's this thing where, <clears throat> like in 2 Thessalonians 2.10, it says that people, people <coughs> were, were condemned because they refused to love the truth and be saved. Okay, so there is a willingness on an unbeliever's part to say, I don't, I don't want to believe that about myself, so I'm just not going to. I don't want to believe that about God, so I'm just not going to. Uh, that stuff about Jesus being Lord, Savior, submitting my life to him, uh, uh, no, I'm not going to do it. So they're a willing part of this, but look at verse 4. There's also an enemy. There's an enemy of the gospel. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. This is Satan's primary work. We're going to talk about this more a little, a little later at the end, but Satan's primary work is that he would blind people from the gospel. Okay? Um, he's glad to do it. And may the Lord um, thwart his ways here in our community. Last but not least, I want to show you the end of verse 4. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I want to remind us that the, that the gospel is primarily about Jesus. That may sound weird, but the gospel is primarily about Jesus. It is not primarily about me and you. <laughs> now, it benefits me and you, right? And we're so thankful that Christ died for us. That, but the gospel is about the glory of Christ, <laughs> The, the gospel is not about me feeling better or me looking better to my friends or me having a fulfilled life, right? All that stuff can, can come from the gospel maybe, 
But the gospel is not about that. Satan is not about shielding that. Satan is about shielding Christ, veiling Christ in who he is. And so if we want to preach the gospel to our friends and our community, let's not make it about us or them. You guys get that? Let's not make it about us or them. Let's make it about Jesus. And just ask him, where are you with Jesus? Jesus has a claim on your life. What do you do about that? And they may look back at it. Well, you this, you. And he's, no, no, it's not about me. Well, I this. No, no, it's not even about you either. What are you going to do with Jesus? And we should push them on that. So first, Paul says that we don't lose heart because we recognize that Christ is Lord. Second, we renounce shameful, sinful ways because we recognize that Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is in charge, then we do things his way. Not just how the world wants or not just what we think will be successful, okay? Third, and most encouraging to me, we are servants for Jesus' sake because Christ is Lord. Look down at verse 5. We are servants. Verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. This is what he proclaims. That word for right there, that mean, that's the reason for this paragraph. right? That shows the reason for this paragraph is that Paul says, I don't proclaim myself as Lord. Who does he proclaim as Lord? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. And that changes everything. Um, this is unlike the false teachers. right? The reason why he says, I don't proclaim myself, is probably because... Most of what false teachers did back in the day, and we can still see this today, you look at cults that are out there today, who do pe- what do they do? They draw people to themselves, right? Look at all the cults. They draw people to themselves. They're charismatic speakers. They've got good ideas, and people say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm following that guy. No, no, no. Paul says we do not preach ourselves. We preach Christ. We preach Christ, unlike the false teachers. Jesus is Lord. So let me tell you this. Jesus is in charge. That's what Jesus is Lord means. He's the sovereign one. He's the one who accomplished our salvation. He's the one who calls us to repent. He's the one who offers eternal life. He's the one who died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven. And like we've been learning in the book of Daniel and Revelation, he's the one who re- will return as the triumphant king. Right? That's it. That, it's him. He's the Lord. He's the Lord. He's the one in charge. Now, what does that make me? Look down at what he says. We don't, we, none of us like this inherently, but for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants. Our rightful position is just as servants, not the one in charge. You guys get this? This is important for me. It's important for our church. It's important for your family. It's important everywhere that My rightful position is as a servant, not the one in charge. It's tough for us, especially us men. Um, We are not the one in charge. Look down at the end of the verse. With ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake, for God, verse 6, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Uh, it's incredible. So, so guys remember at the beginning of the Bible, right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The Lord spoke and he said, let there be 
light, and there was light. That's where Paul's quoting this from. And he says, in that same way that the Lord commanded light, the Lord pointed the son of the gospel on your heart. The Lord pointed the son of the gospel at your heart. For God who said that light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts. Why did he do it? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is an interesting thing. That little word to give, do you see that in there? Right? For God's shown, because we could leave it out, right? God has shown in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We could leave out that word to give. Why is it there? Because the sun, the sun has not shown on your hearts for you, remember? Remember the gospel is not about you or me or us? The Lord has turned the sun of the gospel onto our hearts so that we could shine to others. Right? So that we could show them who Christ is, so that we could radiate as a city on a hill, right? Light. That we could be light. The Lord has shown in our hearts that we might give light. It's not just that we could have it, but that we could give it. So this is the passage. Like I said, it's primarily about Paul's ministry. You guys see that? Like that's what Paul's talking about here, right? I don't lose heart in my ministry. I've renounced in shameful ways like these false teachers. And in my ministry, I never, I never said that I was, I was everything or I was Lord, but I told you that Jesus was Lord. Okay? So what we do with a passage like that is hold our pastor's feet to the... No, I'm just kidding. Right? Um, yes, that should, that, for us men who are in ministry, this should be crucial to us, key to us. And it is around here um, that Jesus would be Lord. But how do we take these principles and apply them to... Um, all everyday life, right? That's what we do in the scriptures. We look for principles and then we say, okay, we're going to apply that to wherever the Lord has me, okay? And so the principle here, the main one that I've said over and over again, is that Jesus Christ is Lord, all right? That's it. Paul proclaimed Jesus as Lord. Paul showed that Jesus was Lord. Paul did his ministry because a certain way because Jesus was Lord. God's shown the gospel in us because Jesus is Lord. All this stuff and so I want to just give you a few applications here, and we'll, we'll be done. <clears throat> One, the purpose of Satan is not to get you to sin, but it is to blind you to the light of the gospel. Okay? The purpose of Satan is not necessarily to get you to sin, but to blind you to the light of the gospel. Okay? Now let me read this. Some of you are looking at me kind of strange. This is what I mean by this. Now, of course, uh, yeah, Satan uses some people's good works to blind them to the gospel by intoxicating them with their own self-righteous pride. Right? Satan can use your good works done in pride, which is intoxicating. We love, oh, I'm so great. I'm doing so good right now. I'm walking with the Lord. I'm serving. I'm doing all the good things in my family. I'm doing great. And Satan can take that pride and can, can, can veil the gospel, can blind us to the gospel because we think we're awesome. <clears throat> and in that way, we become just like the false teachers or it becomes about us. So this was good. This was, I mean, I don't know if I've thought about it this way before because most of the time when we talk about battling with Satan, we're talking about battling sin, right? 
which is true. Of course, if he can get you to sin, you're also being blinded to the gospel. You're, you're forgetting all that Jesus did for you and saying, I'll give all that up just so I could have a little bit of pleasure or a little bit of money or a little bit of whatever, a little bit of rest, whatever it is. <clears throat> but his primary purpose is always to blind us to the gospel. Right? It is not just to get me to sin. And so may we beware of our self-righteousness. Right? May we beware of our self-righteousness. <clears throat> Number two, in way of application... When Jesus is viewed as Lord, and I'm viewed as a servant for Jesus' sake, wherever I am, then everyone has their right place. When Jesus is Lord, and I'm the servant, then everybody's in their proper place. Okay? Paul says that that principle controls his proclamation of the gospel, but it really should control everything. In my church, in this church, if Jesus is Lord and I'm a servant, everybody's in their right place. In my family, if Jesus is Lord and I'm a servant to him, everybody's in the right place. In my workplace, if Jesus is Lord and I'm a servant, and everybody's in their right place. Everywhere we could apply it, on the sports field, in your volunteer clubs, on your vacations, Right? Jesus' lordship doesn't come and go. It doesn't, it's not just like while we're here in church, we sing about, yeah, Jesus is Lord, he's great, he's in charge, and then we go to work, and we get to treat everybody just how we want to, because we're the boss. It's not how it works. Or I come home, and I'm king of my castle when I'm at home. I'm, I'm the king here, and I'm not going to take any lip from you, brat. <clears throat> you guys never call your kids brats, I'm sure now. Um, if, if I'm a servant and Jesus is Lord, then everybody's in their right place, okay? So I'm going to poke a little bit here. <clears throat> when you walk into church and Jesus is Lord and you're a servant, I read this somewhere in a book this week and I wanted to tell it to you. When, it, it, he said this, when we walk out of church, the question should not be how was it, but the question should be how did I do? How did I do? Right? Did I worship my Lord in church today? Was I a servant for Jesus' sake in church today? Did I proclaim that he was the important one today in church? Or really, when I came to church, did I just focus on me? Now the Lord will bless you here. He will feed your soul. He will encourage you. He will, he will give you life in his body. But it's not about us. And it's not about how someone else did encouraging you or how Zach did leading the music or how somebody up here did preaching necessarily. But how did you do in church? You guys get how different? Like, I mean, I, there's some of us here that are doing great with that, but we all need to refocus and go, wait, this place is not about me. As much as my family is not about me and my workplace is not about me, this place is not about me, right? And so I want to encourage you guys. How are you doing? Serve, pray, sing your heart out. Be an encouragement to others. Look for people. Look for who's missing and make contact with them in the week. Make this place about other people, about the Lord, 
loving God, loving others, and I guarantee you, you'll be, you'll, you'll be so much more encouraged every Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning, if it's about Jesus being Lord and you being his servant, it'll be killer. Number three, <clears throat> Jesus is Lord is the ultimate comfort for my heart. Okay? There's no trial, there's no hardship, there's no persecution or conflict that is not under his lordship. There's no diagnosis, there's no, whatever it is, we believe that God is sovereign, that his providence reigns over all, okay? And so whatever you're going through, you can be comforted in saying, you know what, if I went around the world proclaiming me as Lord, I should be really worried when I get sick. But if, if I go around the world saying that Jesus is Lord then I can take comfort, right? And that's not natural either. We freak out in our flesh. We, we worry. We all do that. But to remind ourselves, Jesus is Lord. He's got me. He's got me. He's got every trial, every conflict, everything. And finally, just as a sweet conclusion, look at how glorious Christ is in this passage. Look down at it. Look at, if you have a Bible or on the screen, but look at how glorious Christ is. So at the beginning, he's made a new covenant and he made us ministers of it. Right? As much as you're a minister, as much as Paul's a minister of the gospel, he's made us all. He's given us all a ministry. Look at, look at what he did. And how did he do it? Verse 1, by his mercy. Look at how glorious Christ is. Gave us a ministry, made a new covenant by his blood, which we're going to celebrate in just a second. And then he gives it to us by mercy. No earning it. Didn't have to change everything before I could come to him. Keep going. Look down. Right, and it's his person and work that saves us. Right, the end of uh, the end of verse, no, sorry, the end of verse four, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Right, the glory of the gospel is that Christ came and was flesh for us, and lived the way he lived, and died willingly, and rose from the dead. And you think about how glorious that is. Who could make this up? Right, who could? What God would come and? take on the form of a man and humiliate himself to save people that didn't even deserve it. And then he says he's the image of God. That as Christ walked around on earth, we got to see who God was. And la- I mean, second to last, he's Lord, which we've already talked about a ton. And in verse six, in Jesus's face, right? Look at the very end. In the face of Jesus Christ. That son of the gospel that's shown on our hearts is the face of Jesus. And when we see him face to face, we're going to know that for certainly. And we'll go, you, you were the one that gave the light, that put the light in my life, that put it in my heart, that gave me hope, that gave me grace, that gave me forgiveness. You were the one who did all of it. It's going to be sweet days. So, I wonder if you've hit the lottery. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you're here today and you have not, and, and this has all been a game to you, church is a game, uh, life is all about you, you have some, some religion sprinkled on top maybe, but Jesus is not Lord and Savior for you, today could be the day where you do hit the jackpot. <laughs> And last, for all of us who have believed in him, let's continue to recognize that he changes everything. 
Right? It changes everything. Church, work, ministry, all of it. You all bow with me and we'll pray. God, who are we? Who am I, um, Lord, even to stand up here and say these things? God, you, you have sent Jesus and he is Lord. He is the sovereign one of the universe. He is in charge. He, he has good commands for us. He, he loved us. God, um, I pray in my heart, specifically in my family, God, that that would change everything, that I would remember that I am a servant there. Father, that in this place we would remember that we're servants of Christ, servants of others for Christ's sake. God, that in our workplaces and everywhere, Lord, in our community, that we would realize that we proclaim Jesus as Lord. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that it's by mercy. Lord, we, we could never have earned it. We would have screwed it up so many times, and if we had to keep it on our own, we would still screw it up. And so, God, you are continually gracious and merciful, and I'm so thankful for that. But, God, may we... Um, May we live for you and be committed to it, just as Paul was here, even in the face of persecution, even in the face of um, opposition. Lord, for those here that are facing trials, big trials, big surgeries, big diagnoses, big conflicts, God, would you comfort them today with the fact that you are Lord, that you are in charge of their life, that you can be trusted, that you care for them, that you love them. Um, Lord, thank you for the glory of Christ. Um, it, is the, it, is, it is Christianity. It is everything that makes um, Christianity different than every other religion. Lord, thank you for Christ, that in his face we see the glory of the gospel. God, be with us now as we remember your son and what he did on the cross for us. Um, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.